You're listening to the Sphere Now ESG podcast on Spark, Sphere's safety, sustainability, and productivity thought leadership website. Sphere is the leading provider of ESG performance and risk management software, data, and consulting services. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Sphere Now ESG podcast, the program focused on safety, sustainability, and productivity topics. I'm Charlene Key, Sphere's director of ESG product management. Today, we're joined by Don Reed a managing director at PwC. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today, Don. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Thank you, pleasure to be with you and thanks for inviting me. My focus is really on financial services, ESG, and I'm really a lifer in that space. I did that kind of work at the World Resources Institute at a boutique consultancy called Sustainable Finance Limited, which PwC acquired back in 2009. And today I really work with leading banks, insurers, asset owners, asset managers of all manner, including private equity and alternative assets across climate change risk, net zero, ESG information and data systems, and really how to capitalize on risk reduction and revenue growth through integrating ESG into investment and credit decision making. Wonderful. Well, I'm excited to dive into our discussion today. In this episode, Don and I are going to be discussing finance emissions, the growing pressure to manage and report them, where they fit in the risk landscape, and more. As the world transitions to a net zero economy, financial institutions must also transition the way they do business. Measuring and managing finance emissions is essential to reducing a financial institution's environmental impact, understanding its climate-related risks, and ultimately reaching net zero. Aligning with the Partnership for Carbon Accounting Financials, or PCAF, whether it's Part A for finance emissions, B for capital markets, or C for insurance, will be key to ensuring that efforts to reach net zero are backed up by data that is standardized and verifiable. The constantly fluctuating regulatory environment adds a layer of complexity to the uncertainty financial institutions are facing in the current economic climate. Aligning with regulatory frameworks, such as the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive and Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, and ongoing pressure from the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and other regulatory bodies are a key consideration as finance emissions create regulatory risk for financial institutions. For those that are not familiar, Don, can you explain what finance emissions are and why they should be on financial leaders' radars? Great. Let's start at the high level and get a little more technical and then go to why it should be on folks' radar. So I think the conversational answer is finance emissions are the emissions associated with investments that the owner reports. And to get a little more technical about that, we'd say in different kinds of financial institutions, investments and loans that the reporter holds and that really defined under the greenhouse gas protocol as Scope three, category 15. And what that really means is that it's like other scope three emissions, they are indirect and where the reporter has influence but not direct control. And the greenhouse gas protocol further defines this category 15 as being based on the portion of the capital stack of that emitting obligor or securities issuer that the reporter holds. And so that attribution is really based on that position in the capital stack. So they're generally part of financial institutions, indirect carbon footprint. 
And further, this is done annually. All parts of a greenhouse gas inventory and expressed in CO2e, so carbon dioxide equivalents. Like a balance sheet, it's based on the assets held at the end of the reporting period. And for those assets, what were their emissions during on an annual basis? And then what part is attributed to the reporter based on that part of the capital stack? But we're really in a moment now where the financed emissions are, as you point out, increasingly in regulated reporting. We can talk more about the, the specifics there. And that's really why it's on the radar. So there's several layers to that. There's voluntary reporting, regulated reporting, and a couple different variations on that. And then climate change risk, it's a metric for that. And it's really foundational in any sort of net zero target setting commitment. So happy to drill down on each of those whys in more detail. I'd really like to dig into the risk factor now a little bit more. With the financial industry, risk always seems to be top of mind, whether they're hedging risk or managing risk. Where do finance emissions fit into that current risk landscape? The reporting standard for climate change risk task force for climate-related financial disclosure, or TCFD, really specifies financed emissions as a climate change risk metric for financial institutions. And yes, there are other metrics, and some of those other metrics include the financed emissions and some do not. But let's think about the space of climate change risk where we think about transition risk and physical risk. And financed emissions are really a measure of that transition risk. As a standalone metric, not all tons emitted give rise to the same financial risk, but in the risk, climate change risk process, which we think of as being risk identification, prioritization, quantification, modeling, and then testing those models against different climate scenarios. So that's kind of a standardized view of how to approach climate change risk in that process. Financed emissions themselves are helpful in a number of ways. First, they're kind of a heat map for where to concentrate, what sectors, what security types to prioritize. And then in that prioritization section, that's really, you know, that, that really is an enormous help to be able to look at the financed emissions across a portfolio and decide where to concentrate the effort first. And then it's really the data that starts the quantification, which leads to the modeling and the scenario testing. You need lots of other things in order to do good climate change risk analysis, but you can't really do it without a financed emissions inventory as that starting place and as a means to begin that integration into investment and credit decision-making. The other one to really add there is in the world of regulated climate change risk analysis, so particularly for banks that have prudential regulation and supervision in many of the frameworks around the world, including most notably the European Central Banks, it's a required disclosure as a part of that prudential regulation. So that doesn't affect everybody, but for those that are subject to that requirement, it's an absolute requirement for their overall program and disclosures to those regulators on climate change risk. That's really interesting. So just to recap, 
you're stating that it's essential for companies to make sure they first have a materiality assessment so they can understand where right. they should dig in deeper before they're diving into collecting more granular data or taking other aspects into consideration. Exactly. And sometimes we think about materiality assessment at the company level across all ESG issues, and that's mm -hmm. also true. Here, we're really, by the finance emissions inventory can help you understand is where are their material sources of risk in form of emissions in a portfolio? And sometimes that can be a little bit surprising. <laughs> Not everybody really understands without doing the analytical work where those exist in the portfolio and how they might look and where they might have different dimensions. Now, that's understandable. I'm sure you've seen quite a few surprising hotspots pop up in your day. With those hotspots in mind and the materiality assessment in mind for organizations as well, are there particular parts of their portfolio that they should consider first over others when they're starting on this journey to net zero? Everyone's instinct is very appropriately to think first about what are the big emitting sectors in their portfolio, and that's absolutely a good starting place. And you're almost always going to, now most diversified portfolios will have power and oil and gas as the leading sort of sectors, but it's important to really be unpackaging that in more detail in the sense that not everything in the oil and gas industry is created equal. Integrated major may have exposure across the whole life cycle of oil and gas from exploration and production to retailing at gas stations, but many other participants in that industry have different profiles and midstream financed emissions look very different from mm -hmm. exploration and production companies. And if you're going to get at the underlying climate change risk, you really have to understand it at that level of granularity. Now, there are other aspects of that, and I think the kinds of things that oftentimes financial institutions don't fully appreciate where they may have financed emissions and climate change risk exposure on that basis are things in materials production. So steel, aluminum, cement, all of those are high emitting industries that don't have the same sort of profile as power generation mm -hmm. and the oil and gas industry. And yet they do have high financed emissions. And there's also quite a bit of diversity amongst participants in each of those industries for their actual emissions per unit of production, which is a important metric that having a financed emissions inventory enables you to use at the portfolio level, at the sector level, and even at the asset level. Wonderful. So it sounds like certain industries are definitely going to struggle more with this. And, and there may be some movement of cash from the financial industry, either into certain projects or out of certain industries based on what they're wanting to do and strategize for their portfolios themselves. What are the current strategies that financial institutions should be adopting to tackle their financed emissions within their portfolios? Well, I think there's a couple of things there, and we take kind of a first a principles-based approach with the knowledge that there are specifics that are going to vary significantly by investment type and, and lots of other characteristics. But the sort of key principles are real basic stuff like, first, be very clear about why you're you're doing this, because there will be differences in we're doing this for voluntary reporting purposes, or also doing this for some regulatory reporting purposes. 
And what's the nature of those regulated reporting? Is this a standalone ESG regulation? This information will increasingly be reported in financial reporting under the ISSB or the integration of ESG data into regulated financial reporting under IFRS. It's also, as we mentioned, that sort of prudential regulation that banks have. So that clarity about why will determine a lot about what standards and degree of specificity you need to have on that. So clarity about why, then a plan at building a program that has the destination in mind. That's You're clear about what is our future state of the data and our ability to do this. What's our current state? What does that future state need to look like? And therefore, what kind of capabilities do we need to have? And we always think about that, like any transformation across people, process, and technology. And here we really mean people that you need a multi-stakeholder group inside. When you're looking to implement a financed emissions inventory, you need to have people involved in the investment and credit decisions, the sustainability function, communications and reporting, some people around risk and regulatory. And they're really, again, they will vary with the type of company and institution, but there would be having that multi-stakeholder group. And we focus a lot today on the process because the process is fundamentally new and you're in the world of the technology to do this kind of work. And in some ways that's just in the process of becoming, people are only beginning to use the technology to be able to do this. So we today focus a lot on the process and the principles that are in play there are really, how do we maximize actual reported and verified data? How are we clear about the place where we have complete gaps in the data and where we have estimation and which estimation techniques are we using? How do we have sufficient data to use the best available estimation techniques? Then how do you have a single source of truth across the enterprise on these? And then that enterprise sort of system that you would expect to be tech-enabled, and controlled or auditable, but then also that contemplates multiple use cases because yes, there's a use case around the disclosure and reporting and use cases around the climate change risk. We've already you know, talked about those, but we're finding that some clients also have use cases that are around engaging the security issuers or engaging their clients in banking with rich data and more information than they had before they, they, they had a financed emissions inventory. So those are some of the sort of key principles and strategies for doing the you know, the financed emissions inventory itself. There are also a additional set of strategies that are quite related, which are around maybe setting a net zero target and how to choose which method to use for setting those targets. Financed emissions plays a key role in that process because you really want to be able to test different methodologies with actual data about your actual investments. And then on the fulfillment of those decarbonization commitments, the inventory is critical in being able to track that progress, particularly if absolute financed emissions are one of the metrics in your decarbonization commitment. But it's also a ingredient in almost all of the major metrics for a net zero commitment. That's really interesting. 
Just going back to the data aspect, you did say there's a lot of companies just struggling to get access to data and or taking on projects to engage their suppliers and their investors to gather more data. With everything that the financial institution is currently facing with the data challenge itself, are there certain strategies to handle the data perspective of this, especially as they're wanting to mature through the data maturity scale and move up in data quality so they can have a clearer, more transparent picture of that inventory? Oh, yeah, it is a huge problem. And our first plank of advice is don't panic because when they look at this for the first time, they see third party vendor data and they think, oh, my goodness, a lot of this doesn't match my needs, the places where I'm investing or there are other attributes of it where they're, they're missing key pieces or maybe the data is a little confusing. It doesn't seem like it's right. And so we're all kind of in the same boat on this. This is very early days. And so there's both that maturity progression at the individual company and financial institution. There's also the maturity of the whole field. And we're in this kind of awkward adolescence in terms of maturity where there's data available. So you think you ought to be able to have a quality inventory of reported data, but in fact, there's lots of gaps there. So this is going to get better and better over the next few years where there's more mandatory greenhouse gas reporting really globally and more that is subject to assurance. But today there's still lots of gaps. So I think the first things to keep in mind here, you want to understand what you actually have, like what is reported, what is reported and assured, what is uh, on, on the emissions data, and what is estimated and how is it estimated. And PCAF has a very useful framework for scoring that data quality more broadly. And so you always want to be applying that to the data you have to understand at the portfolio sector and other sort of levels, what is the data quality you have? Where you have totally missing emissions data, how are you estimating that? How you understand what your a vendor may be estimating and then where they have gaps, how you might estimate that and what are the better estimation techniques and what are the least favored estimation techniques and try to be always moving up to having enough data to improve your estimation. The big picture there is you want to have the best sources available, best estimation techniques possible for the data you have using that data quality store and understanding what the implications are where you don't have the highest quality data yet. And then, as you mentioned, I think many are going to sort of that direct acquisition where it's feasible. So you see that in supply chain, top suppliers getting direct data from them using some of the services that exist around that, uh, you know, CDP supply chain has been around for a long time, but there are others. And mm -hmm. there are other approaches to direct acquisition that we are beginning to see, you know, so, so most obviously in the financial services world, in private equity, for example, where direct acquisition, at least for some portfolio companies, is already well underway, but others as well. So that really puts everybody in a situation where it's like, okay, my plan and strategy around improving the quality of data in my financed emissions inventory is going to remain a pretty big task, but a relatively clear one about at least how to approach it. And we expect that that's probably going to be the case for the next couple of years. 
No, that makes sense. Again, going back to your steps of making sure you know what you need to manage and then double clicking on everything that does actually make sense for you to dive into that deeper data quality itself. Many financial institutions are stepping into the emission space for the very first time, and you did touch on this recently, where it is a very, very nascent industry for them to approach so far. There's a huge knowledge gap that many are desperately trying to fill and wanting to do so without having to take resources away from other areas. Fully understanding what it takes to reach net zero, the educational gap between that and, and how this will benefit them in the long run and a realistic executable plan that will be required for the market so that they are able to move forward with that net zero plan. How can financial institutions implement PCAP methodologies within their existing processes? So let's make sure that we're clear about the calculation for a financed emissions inventory includes both the emissions data and then PCAP is the attribution portion of that calculation. Like how do you attribute the emissions associated with the issuer to your portfolio? You don't want to conflate the two and you take different actions, the ones we've already discussed to solve the emissions data gaps, but there are also gaps to doing that attribution portion that PCAF really is the account for which PCAF is the accounting standard. And so it's really most typical to develop a enterprise approach to greenhouse gas data and being able to think about that really kind of from end to end, like how do we acquire the data? How do we manage it, aggregate it, process it, transform it, perform the calculation, and then apply that in different use cases? Now that can be particularly tricky for many because they're using multiple data sources for each piece of this. So they will have sources of data for the emissions and then usually more internal, but can also include some external sources for that PCAF attribution portion. And so the need to have the ability to bring together multiple data sources have them match, you know, mm -hmm. so they're, you're really at the entity level, we're really talking about the same entity where you have the securities and the, the emissions data. And then there are other capabilities that go beyond that, such as if decarbonization or net zero setting, you really want to be able to say, well, okay, do we have the data we need to be able to do the attribution? Do we have the fair market value, the book value, the financial measures that will enable you to do the attribution? And then if you're looking forward in time, most of our clients are thinking about not just what targets might I set, but how mm -hmm. will I achieve those targets? And so you want to be able to have that projection capability. What will my portfolio look like in a year, in a couple of years, maybe even all the way to where I have an interim target? What's my what if capability? Like if I were to make these changes in my portfolio, when these bonds run off, I will reinvest them in a lower carbon set of entities, for example that sort of what if capability that enables the managers of the assets to understand what their plan is and how they can work that plan to decarbonize the portfolio. And then being able to track the performance of multiple metrics, including financed emissions and, and financed emissions based metrics and project them into the future. 
And so all those are things that are critical to the long-term success of implementing the PCAF methodologies and working with your financed emissions inventory. And that all needs to happen within the existing investment management process, as you point out. And the net of that is that the team and the solutions need to have a life that's within that controlled environment for data and analytics and for that investment decision making. And there's lots of different ways of doing that, but there's really no substitute for having the same data and analytics people that are getting all the data to the decision makers to have this part of their world, that this is delivered side by side with other analytics and maybe adapted for different use cases to be able to meet the user's actual need for this data and how it integrates into existing risk management process or all the way down to customer reporting. That sounds really interesting. I'm assuming with with the level of of effort that that it will take to actually integrate into all of these existing operational processes, that it it is going to be a, a quite quite a long transition for for many industries to incrementally get to to their right. net zero in <laughs> exactly. the long run. Is there is there certain portions that companies are starting with first that they found are, are more easy to actually dig into, or is that really case by case? Yeah, so there's some things we can say at the overall level where you're really saying the challenges we've been talking about, what's our plan for dealing with them? So like, how do we get all the data in the right place to the right people in the Mm -hmm. right form at the, the highest quality? And so huge portion of effort today is really focused on those sets of tasks and those that are already beginning around the decarbonization process are really focused in a couple of areas. First, they're really focused on how do we engage those that have the most influence on our financed emissions inventory or climate risk metrics, how do we engage them? And that is ordinary in equity investing amongst publicly traded companies, but not really ordinary in any other category, lenders and bondholders, for example. And so lots of capability building about how to actually engage the obligors or security issuers about their emissions, their transition plans, how they see it as a competitive dynamic in the industry, what's the governance of that at the board level, And all that is really enabled by having quality financed emissions data that's kind of the foundation for that engagement. So you can say, you are a top emitter in our portfolio. Here's how we analyze your emissions. And that's really the starting place to having that kind of engagement. So engagement is is one. A second is really a bit by sector. And so that is to say that in the power generation sector, there is already well underway market decarbonization, some driven by regulation, but much of it driven by improvements in technology, replacing aging uh, power plants and the like. And so many of our clients are happiest with what's going on in power gen because there is already decarbonization happening at the market level and they can capitalize on that. And in fact, there's some market plays they can make around that. I think it's much harder in most other high emitting industries because the market 
decarbonization is either less advanced, it's happening at a slower speed, and or I guess it is not clear what the pathway to decarbonization fully is. So we think about decarbonization in automotive as being relatively clear in the sense that it's the adoption of electric vehicles and the decarbonization of the grid charging those vehicles. But that's less true in in other categories, including including some of the you know the building materials that you know we mentioned earlier. Okay, understood. That's fascinating. With everything that you've mentioned before, we've already gone over materiality, different mm-hmm. regulatory compliance, as well as data quality, and really the need to engage suppliers and and where certain industries are kind of standing within here, as well as having their source of truth. With that that integrated source of truth. Working with a solution that can offer flexibility, I feel, is going to be a main key to managing long-term compliance as these regulations Mm -hmm. uh, shift with the environment Mm -hmm. and economic uncertainty, along with the pandemic and other things that, that often fluctuate within the financial industry. What other aspects do you feel will give leaders an advantage in the market? Well, I think the idea that we're going from data and data and analytics systems are going on this from non-existent to fully auditable and reported in regulated financial filings in a very short period of time, that sort of head sends your mind spinning, especially if you're coming from the world of you know regulated financial reporting, controllers, et cetera. So that's a very big deal. And that's one where there are already a wealth of solutions out there, but they are still advancing themselves, you know, in their own right. But the usual answers of how do you slowly mature a process like that over long periods of time, as we have with financial reporting, aren't on the table. It's more like this immature data and accounting standards is getting dropped into those financial reporting environments. And there's going to be lots of challenges around doing that, some of which will raise their heads in internal audit processes and regulatory reviews with the SEC and other regulators. But we really think about it as being the rapid maturation of that process where we think about audit readiness at the same time we're thinking about building the system. And so that really puts the pressure on doing it quickly, efficiently, with good documentation and and clarity, and knowing that that's probably going to go through a couple of different iterations as a way to get to that place we need to be uh, to put this kind of data into financial filings and other regulated reporting. And you bring up a really, really good point about the auditability and the assurance and and what that is going to mean to to organizations as well as data quality in the future. Can you talk more about the importance of having audit-proof financed emissions? Yeah, and so I think the actual full audit and comfort with that you would say use a term like audit proof is going to take some time, but it's going to be that cycle is going to have to be really compressed. So it's already clear from the regulations that are announced and enforced in many parts of the world and pending in other parts of the world that there really isn't going to be an alternative to that. And so there's a lot of attention to, you know, and scramble for that. And then also readying the audit machinery 
that's internal audit inside companies for these challenges. This is you know, a different challenge than internal auditors have typically been faced with before. And the whole audit readiness portion of the company that's getting the audit, as well as folks like us at PwC who provide those audit services. And so all that is an essential part of the landing place we need to achieve within a couple of years, if not sooner, but it's on this sort of scary compressed timeframe. But again, if you're including it data in financial reporting, there really isn't an alternative to have it not only audited, but audited to the standards that are associated with financial reporting. And that really depends very critically on having it come from a system that provides that sort of audit trail, transparency, and in which the controller and others have complete confidence and know that the system is ready, even if the data is still maturing and the accounting standards are still maturing. No, that completely makes sense. Just to go back to regulatory compliance mm -hmm. with the ever-changing regulatory environment currently, I'm assuming that that everything is going to compile into a few different standards, so we'll have some clarity across the board. But I know it will take some time. From your opinion, how long will it take for these standards to really stabilize? Estimation. It's, I know it's a yeah, loaded yeah. question. Yeah, but it is on everybody's mind. And so we think that it really has to be in a almost completely transformed state on a sort of 24 month kind of time horizon. And that may be stating it with too much precision. It almost certainly is. But the particularly the European regulatory environment and much of Asia Pacific following that European model really requires it. And so we expect all that to happen. It's already in process. And some of it, you could say, is somewhat accomplished. There's 100 financial institutions that have reported financed emissions according to PCAF standards already, but that's going to grow logarithmically. And we'll see that in this current year reporting cycle. So 2022 reporting already starting, but really in April, May, June of 2023, we'll see way more of that. And we are seeing controllers really taking the helm on this and saying like our finance department and particularly the controllership, accounting standards and accounting policies all have to build this stuff in. And so much of what has to happen is already in motion. It just hasn't fully landed or doesn't have a full public manifestation yet. Understandable. How do you think the SEC's climate-related disclosure rule will impact everything that's already been happening within the, the regulatory environment? I think the answer is that it will very much depend on the specifics to kind of enumerate them. What will the final rules say about scope three reporting for all issuers and then the level of disclosures required where companies have set targets. Both of those are really instrumental in the sort of decision making about what issuers will need to do on the data and analytics to have the reporting meet the new rules. But those are both pretty much up for grabs. The SEC got a lot of comments back on both those topics in their review and it will depend very heavily on those specifics. It'll be exciting to see what they finally decide on with the SEC ruling. That's all the time that we have for today. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share before we wrap up? 
We are cursed with interesting years. This is all a big challenge at the societal level, at the standard setting level, and at the individual business level, both financial institutions and others. And that's both exciting and uh, daunting. But there we are. Yep, there we are on the daunting, exciting journey towards <laughs> net zero together. Thank you again, Don, for joining me on the Sphere Now podcast. Thank you, Charlene. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Sphere Now ESG podcast on Spark. We hope you enjoyed the show. Want more safety, sustainability, and productivity-related blogs and podcasts? Subscribe to Spark today. Visit sphere.com backslash spark and let's spark a conversation.